0: Okay, everybody, Parshas um, Vayechi. I do have to apologize for not getting the shear up Thursday afternoon, Thursday night, like I, I like to do. Uh, and apologies for that. And there's a reason for that. Is It's because uh, I realized that I didn't give a shear on Vayechi last year. I must have missed it. I'm not sure why. Uh, so I went to, you know, I, realized, I kind of went to upload it and realized I didn't have anything to upload. So I had to come up with some, uh, some stuff. So this is a fresh... Parshashir, I guess, very exciting, probably should do one of those once in a while, anyway, um, but very exciting to, obviously it will be rela- related to current events, because how could it not be, but uh, fresh Parshashir for Parshash coming up right now. Before we get to there, uh, a little bit of an exciting, I think is an exciting announcement, is that Shem just like we were Zoha, uh, to put out a Sefer for Sefer Tzvarim, so so too uh, we're going to get the book version of Diver Torah for the Growth-Oriented Jewish team, for Sefer Shmos, that Mitzvah Shem is coming out next week. Uh, do not know exactly what day. Uh, depends on uh, a couple of things. Uh, most specifically, Amazon's uh, you know approval of all the items that are uploaded and stuff like that. Maybe some last minute editing and uh, copy editing and proofreading or whatever. But uh, Mitzvah Shem should be ready at some point next week. So I'll definitely uh, you know try and send that out. Uh, either WhatsApp or, you know, or maybe I'll just record a little intro right at the beginning of next week's Share Parsha Shmos just to say that it's out. But, I'm looking forward. Very exciting. Then you don't have to listen to this podcast. You can just read it on Shabbos, which is also, also very very nice. Okay, let's uh, let's get the Parshas Uh Just very quickly at the beginning, a, a vort that has I feel like makes its rounds, but we should uh, just point it out just because you know the theme of the theme of the year it seems is Achdus. Uh, and the thing that we have to improve on the most, and everybody's talking about it, is achdus. So, uh, there are a couple of reasons given why we bless our children, right, to be like Ephraim and Menashe, right? Obviously, this week's Parsha. Yaakov blesses uh, Ephraim and Menashe, Yosef's kids. I'm not going to go through a whole Parsha rundown. I, I guess we could You know what? Yeah, we should go through a Parsha rundown, because, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes people kind of just don't go through the Parsha until Friday. So, let's go through. Let's give a Parsha rundown. Yaakov uh, gets sick. And uh, and he goes to bless, uh, you know, Yosef and his sons, and, and all of his sons, really. Yosef brings Ephraim to Menashe, right? Yaakov uh, gives them a bracha, switches his hands, obviously, uh, gives Ephraim the bracha before Menashe. Um, and that's, in fact, how we, the Puzzle says, how we bless our kids, Ephraim to Menashe, like we Menashe, right? That's, that's what we do. Uh, Yaakov continues to bless his sons, right? Not, not so much going on in the Parsha, right? He blesses his sons. After asking Yo- right, I guess I probably should have mentioned that Yaakov first asks Yosef to bury him in Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov blesses his sons. Right? Yaakov passes away. Yosef is able to fulfill that promise. Uh, everybody you know, Buries Yaakov in Eretz Yisrael. by and Achpelah. They go back to Mitzrayim. Right? And uh, basically, that's the end, pretty much. Right? The brothers suspect Yosef of going to take revenge. He says, "No, I'm not going to do that." Right? Yosef passes away, and Israel basically uh, end up. Right, we're getting ready for shmos and slavery, etc. etc. All right, so that's a quick, quick recap. So, as we said, Yaakov blesses Ephraim and Menasheh, um, and he gives obviously Ephraim and Bracha first. Uh, as Rashi points out, that uh, you know, Menasheh, yes, will have Gidon come out of him, Gidon the Shofate, but Ephraim's gonna have Yeshua. right? So, Ephraim deserved the Bracha beforehand. So, one of the girls asked me, so who cares? Uh, so, just very simply, that sometimes you know, you want <clears throat> to give a Bracha to someone. Who's going to be more chashev and more uh, more influential right in Amizal, Right, Yeshua is going to literally lead the Jews into Eretz Yisrael, right? So Yaakov felt that he should get the bracha first, whatever that is, right? To get maybe a little bit of a stronger bracha, even though Gidon obviously was tremendous tzaddik and uh, and saved Am in his own right. Um, Okay, just a little point over there. But uh, why we all bless our kids, right? The question is why is that? Why do we not bless our kids to be like Avram, Mitzkin, Yaakov, or Moshe, or Aaron, or whatever? Well, Ephraim and Menashe, as, as great as they were, right, seems to be a bit of a strange and random uh, bracha. So, there are a couple answers that are given. Uh, one, I think the most famous answer is, is given by the Oznayim Latorah, and, and I'm sure others as well that I'm unaware of, uh, is that Ephraim and Minashe, right, were the first Jews born in exile and to thrive in Exile, right? We know Menashe, for example, was Yosef's right hand man, right? He was his maturgamon, right? He learned all his Torah from him. Ephraim, the measure says, right, would travel from you know Paro's house or Yosef's house in the capital, right, out to Goshen to go learn with Yaakov Avino. So Ephraim also, obviously, both of them were did did tremendously well. They were the first Jews to be born in in Gaulus, right, and to thrive in Gaulus despite the bad environment. And we also want our children, right, despite the Gullus that we're in nowadays, right, to accomplish and to thrive. And to grow like Ephraim and Manasha. Uh, Rabbi Shmuel Golden makes another ha'ara, which uh, the Medrash actually makes about Yosef. Uh, but he makes a ha'ara that this is true about Ephraim uh, and Manasha as well. Rabbi Golden points out that Ephraim and Menashe are the first brothers in Sefer bracious that didn't fight. And even though they had reason to, right? Manasha could have been upset at Ephraim for getting the bracha first. But we see nowhere that manasseh hated or you know was frustrated at his brother. There was complete harmony, right, and peace and achdus right, between the two brothers. Even though there was a reason right for Menashe to not be upset with Ephraim. Right, we start at the beginning, right, the beginning of creation. Right, that Cain kills Havel, Right, uh, Avram uh, has two children, Yishmael and Yitzchak. That fight, right, brothers that fight. Yitzchak has two children, Yaakov and Esav, who fight. Right, Yaakov has children who fight. Right, the brothers and Yosef. Finally, we end up with Ephraim and Menashe, right, who didn't fight. Uh, and uh, talk of that, the we want to bless him with the achdos that perhaps we have. And interesting, the, the the medrash makes that horror about Yosef, that Yosef at the end of his life, when he didn't take revenge on the brothers after Yaakov passed away, so the medrash says that Yosef uh, was not like Esav or Yishmael, etc. But okay, right? This the point rings true. Right? That if I'm right, as a bracha we want to give on our family that Mitzvah, we should all be to shalom and achdos, etc., etc. Now, obviously, nowadays is very, very relevant. Okay. Let's just take one of the brachos. You can spend a lot of time, if you do Mikra and you do it with Rashi, there's a lot of Rashi on, on the brachos and the blessings that Yaakov gives his kids. Obviously, we can't spend time for all of them. But let's just take one of them. Let's take the first one. We'll take Ruvain uh, and uh, talk about that uh, a little bit. right? Ruvain right, seems almost like a, a rebuke, almost. Right? Basically, Ruvain, uh, Yaakov says that Ruvain is not going to get uh, the kingship and the firstborn ship and the kohan, the, the Kohenship, I don't know, whatever, the priesthood. Uh, and the question is, why? The puzzle says, right, <laughs> That basically, pachas <right, laughs> kamayim, that you, you, Reuven was impetuous like water, uh, and uh, because you went onto his father's uh, father's bed. What is that a reference to? So that's a reference to Reuven's quote-unquote sin with Bilha, and I say quote-unquote because there's a debate in Gemara and Shabbos what exactly happened. The Puzzle says, after Rachel passed away, that Yaakov right, moved in, uh, that, that Reuven right, slept with Bilha. That's what the Puzzig says. Reuven as Bilha And then the Puzzik says right after, V'yuh B'nei Yisrael Shnei, or B'nei Yaakov Shnei Masar. I think it's B'nei Yisrael Shnei Masar. Meaning that that Reuven did tshuva, but then they were whole, and it was fine. But basically, the Puzik says, accuses almost Reuven of sleeping with Bilha. And the Gemara and Shabbos, uh, Dafnonhei, right? Uh, it has a big macholk as to what Ruven actually did, and almost all of the Rishonim assume that Ruven didn't actually do that. Right? But really, what he did was he moved Yaakov's bed uh, into Leah's tent instead of Bilhah, because that's what Yaakov obviously Bilhah was Rachel's uh, maid servants, a uh, shivcha. Uh, but Reuven got upset at the insult to Leah, his mother, right? So he moved, the, so he moved Yaakov's bed. So what exactly? Why? Why would that right? That chet, right, apostle Ruven from the kingship. Why would, why, again, that was obviously not great, but why would that you know, nullify uh, Reuven's uh, you know, eligibility to be president, How shall we say? So the Hei-McDover and the Tziv in the Hei-McDover explains, explains very, very beautifully. It says, first of all, Pachas Kabayim, right? He jumped, jumped into action without thinking, he was impetuous, right? And, and, and he did something that was inappropriate. Fine, okay, we all make mistakes, we all do things without thinking, um, unfortunately. Right, even though we should, but maybe we all, we're all kind of impetuous sometimes. But then afterwards, says in the Siv, fascinating observation. He says, K'il, then, then you, you, what it literally means, you went onto your father's bed. What does that mean? So the Siv says, and didn't actually do anything with Bilha, but Ruven laid there on Yaakov's bed the entire time to make sure Yaakov wouldn't come back. Which is crazy, but it sounds like Ruven stayed there, right, in Bilhah's tent, just to make sure nothing would happen, as that Yaakov wouldn't come back uh, uh, you know, and, and move the bed back, as it were. So at no point did it occur to Ruvain that maybe this was a bad idea. He explains to the if yeah, sometimes people act impetuously. Right? Sometimes you do something, you make a mistake, you don't think, whatever. But usually, right, at some point, hours later, or maybe sooner than that, right, sooner, usually you realize you made a mistake. Right? Ruvain didn't even have that realization right, he was lying there all night, didn't even come to a point, right, he was obviously very steadfast in his righteousness, and refused to realize that uh, maybe this is a little weird, maybe this is a little off, and when he finally did shuva, right, we know that that Reuven did shuva, when did he do shuva? When the brothers threw Yosef into the pit, Reuven wasn't there, why is that, Rashi says, because he was in sackcloth, he was fasting, right, for the sin with his father's bed, right, many, many, Years later, right? why did he do that? So Gemara says, and Rashi quotes it that is because of Yehuda. Right? The Yehuda admitted his sin with Tamar. So Ruvain, right was realized, oh, maybe I should you know admit my sin uh, right, w- as well. So he didn't even come to that realization on his own. Right? And, okay, fine. You know, Enochanami the by the Tosos writes that that Reuven did do tshuva, but he didn't admit it in public until Yehuda did because Yehuda's thing was all in public. Okay, but there was still he was lacking some sort of right awareness. There was some sort of awareness that he was too too impetuous. The Malbim points out that this is actually what caused Moshe to bless Reuven, if you notice. It. It's always very fascinating right, to compare and contrast the brachos that Yaakov gave and the brachos that Moshe gave. Right? Obviously, Yaakov gives brachos in this week's parsha to all the Shvatim. Moshe gives brachos at the end of his life, and right, parsha, tells a bracha, right? that you're familiar with, perhaps. So but it's always interesting to compare the two. So what Moshe said about Reuven was, Reuven v'al yamos, asav mispar. Then it goes on, Right. So all he said was Ruvain Ruven Valiyamos. What, what, what does that have to do with anything? So, so says the Malvin, beautiful, uh, is that because right, uh, a person has to be calculated in life, and Lu- Ruven was a little less calculated than Yaakov preferred. And Mal, the mom says that's a dangerous characteristic to have in life right. Yehi Ruven Valiyamos. Let him live and not die. When you rush through life with making wrath decisions, right, that's dangerous both physically right, and spiritually. Uh, Rabbi Golden, Rabbi Golden suggests that maybe this is tied to Ruvain's decision to settle outside the land of Eretz Yisrael. Right, the Abarbanel, right, right, he quotes the Abarbanel, right, who says that Yechir Ruvain Valyamos is tied to the fact that Ruvain is promising, right, to be at the front of the battlefield during the 14 years uh, of conquest, right? Ruvain and God and Chatishev and, and Manasha, to a certain extent, wanted to live outside. Uh, of Eretz Yisrael, Me'ever Le right? In exchange for that, Moshe said, okay, fine, but you're going to be on the battlefield leading the conquest of Eretz Yisrael, and Reuven said, no problem. As Zabar Benel says that's why Moshe blessed him, because he was going to be front and foremost in the battlefields. And Ruf Golden just points out that the impetuousness of Reuven right, was still on full display when he just decided not to live in Eretz Yisrael. They decided to cut themselves off. We see some good land, We're just going to live on Me'ever Le Right and uh, Moshe wanted them to slow down, take it, you know, and think about stuff, but uh, but they didn't, and that's why he blessed them, right? Yichiru v'vayyel because that dis- that characteristic was was on display. So that's something we have to think about in our vodus Hashem, not to rush to action, but to be more calculated. Uh, this is something that the Mesil writes, right, in the Milo of Zihirus so to be careful right? when a person approaches their life and think about well, whether a person is going to violate a sin or not. Right, he has a whole uh, couple prakim on that. Uh, that's, a, that's something that we have to think about, not necessarily to jump to, to rash decisions and make, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and think about it, our, our lives, not only in, in the various moments when, when we're involved in perhaps Mitzvahs or Iveros, but also in general. I had to think about our life in general. I, you know, the girls asked me this week, know we had a Q&A, a lot of teachers are in America uh, doing recruiting. So I just popped in to, you know, cover one class, and I didn't have anything prepared. So I said, ask me a question. So one of the girls said, what's the best advice you ever got in your life? Well that's a very heavy question and I didn't really know what to answer but one thing I like to say and this popped into my head is that uh, think about what you want in life right don't just be you know the 85 90% of people who just kind of live life by just doing whatever everybody does you know everybody guess goes to high school and goes to Israel and goes to college and settles back in their hometown or goes back to live over here and there think about what you want right don't uh, you know don't settle uh, for just doing what everybody else does, because that's, that's comfortable, right? Think about what you want in your life, and, and if that's what you want, and that's great, but made it, make it a conscious decision and, and a choice, not just something that, you know, you're going along with the flow and and you never throw out an anchor to stop this whole thing and see where the whole ship is going, right? That's something that the Ramchal writes, and the that we have to be careful, we should be cognizant, that we should be proactive in thinking and choosing, right, about, uh, about our life. Okay. Right before Ruven's bracha, Uh, Yaakov, right, uh, the public says fascinating, that Yaakov wanted to tell the brothers about the Kitz Mashiach, and nothing else, right? Yaakov says, gather around, my sons, and let me tell you what's going to happen at the end of days, and then he launches directly into the brachos. And Rashi explains, right, again, based on the medrash, that Hashem's Shechina left him, that Hashem did not, right, give uh, Yaakov the proper nevuah, right, in order to um, you know, to tell the brothers what was going to happen at the end of days. So a couple lessons from this, a couple lessons from this. First of all, and, and sometimes these are the most simple right, uh, lessons, right? Sometimes the, are the most powerful. Uh, the first thing is not everything needs to be told over. You don't have to tell every story. you don't have to did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? Let me tell you this. Let me tell you that. Not everything, right obviously, a lot of things, right? We are human beings, right? We thrive on story and we get inspired by stories. Uh, but you don't have to tell everything over. Right? I had a personal situation this week. There's a story I tell every year, which I felt and still feel gives tremendous chizik uh, to the girls. It's a personal story that for reasons that will become obvious, I will not share right now. Um, but what happened was I heard another person sharing a similar, little bit more dramatic story in the seminary, uh, and just you know overhearing it as, as I was doing my own work, and I, overhearing it, uh, I thought it was wildly inappropriate. Not like immoral and inappropriate. Not like appropriate like that. I mean, like it just didn't need to be said. It didn't sound like something the girls needed to hear. It didn't. It, it sounded extru- very extra. And I realized a moment later, ah, okay. Why did I make me overhear that in a conversation? to realize that the story that I tell, uh, you know, every year and perhaps was planning to tell at a mishmar this week or next week was probably unnecessary. Maybe there are elements of Lashon uh, Obviously I try not to include those aspects, but maybe there still was some elements of Lashon Uh, maybe I was really telling the story for my own therapeutic sake. Uh, and therefore maybe I was rationalizing and kind of overrating the Musar impact it would have. But either way, long story short, I, uh, I took the lesson to heart and I canceled the mishmar. We'll probably do it next week and I'll probably tell a different story. Um, and I decided not to tell it. And anyway, long story short, sometimes you don't need to say. It. Sometimes Hashem prevents us from saying it. Right? In this case, right? I guess, as the measure says, right? It would have been devastating for Bnei Yisrael to hear how long the gullets really was going to be. But, uh, listen, I'm sure Yaakov had his cheshbonos. I'm sure he, you know, he thought that, uh, you know, there was a toelos there that he should have told them. But not everything we want to say necessarily gets said, and not everything we want to say needs to get repeated, um, and not everything we, we think we need to do. Right, happens. Right, sometimes Hashem doesn't want us to do certain things that we think that right, we need to do. Right, sometimes a kosh baruch who puts something in our way, something goes wrong, we're not able to accomplish something. There's a certain natural annoyance a person has when they can't do X, Y, and Z. But we have to realize there's a certain Hashgaka process going on. Right, something we may not be aware of that a kosh baruch who right made us not be able to do it. Right, that's the the appropriate response to you know some sort of failure. Not that you didn't put in enough effort or whatever, but like sometimes you put in an effort, you organize everything, and Everything goes wrong. So, okay, so we, uh, we have to have, you know, it's natural to get frustrated, but with the that we're supposed to have, right? Is that a Kosh Baruch who's right making, for every reason, a Kosh Baruch who is kind of, you know, making things go this way, even though we thought we should go the other way. Another simple message uh, that we should take from this little story is Yaakov's response, right? The measure says, right, what did Yaakov respond right after Hashem's Shekhinah leaves him? So Medrash says, he thought that one of the sin, one of the brothers had committed a sin. One of the brothers was unworthy, like Esau or Yishmael. Right? He thought perhaps they weren't you know, great tzaddikim. So the Shvatim all responded together right, at once. Shema Yisrael, Hashem keno Hashem Just like there's only one Hashem in your heart, so too in all of us, all of our hearts. We also have you know, only a Baruch in our hearts. And Yaakov then responded, Baruch shem K'vomach, Tzolam, so And he realized, that, okay, it must be that Hashem right, must not have wanted him to reveal uh, the Kate's Mashiach. What do you see from here? We see, again, very simply, that whenever something goes wrong, the first response is to look for sin, right? To look for a chet. Right? Yaakov said, something went wrong, Shekhinah left him, so it's like, oh, must be there's some sort of sin over here, some sort of chet, maybe something is going wrong. When he realized there wasn't, okay, so then he realized that maybe it was Yad Hashem that he didn't, for whatever reason, didn't want uh, you know to him to tell him. But the first response when something doesn't go well, go well is to look inward, Um I was having a conversation with a, with a friend of mine about, you know, about the matzah, what's going on. And he noted that for some reason people are very comfortable uh, to say uh, why the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. For example, we all know, right, first Beis HaMikdash was destroyed for the big three. Gilura, Shilich Azdamim. And Ritzicha and murder, right, the big three. Uh, you know, murder, idolatry, and adultery. And the second Beis HaMikdash was destroyed for Sinaschinum, right, for, uh, you know, what they're loosely translated as as... What is it? Baseless hatred. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not sure if that's a great translation either. But okay, well, We know, right? That's why the base this was destroyed. Other there are other reasons given in the Gemara. But okay, fine, whatever. That those are spiritual reasons for a physical calamity. I don't know if you ever took a moment to think about that. Right? Why was it destroyed? It wasn't destroyed because Nebuchadnezzar came to besiege our land and his army was stronger. And the barionim destroyed all the food and they had no choice because. It's, we all say it was destroyed for spiritual reasons. Yet, when it comes to more modern things, like, oh, the Holocaust, or the Simchas Torah Massacre, or whatever, whatever, all of a sudden, that's not so PC to say. That's already sacrilegious. How can you blame the Kadoshim? They were killed and murdered. Okay, now, first of all, before you get all upset, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm not blaming anyone, I'm not p- picking out a specific person or a type of person or group of people I'm not picking out a specific sin or whatever I'm not the judge right with a capital J I don't make those cash bonos but right for some reason we're very happy to assign you know spiritual blame for historical, historical tragedies but the moment it's fresh and personal then all of a sudden we have a problem making the exact same Valuation. Now, I'm aware, again, you can argue discrepancies. I'm aware, first of all, right, we're not, you know, we're basing the meter stuff off the Gemara, right? I'm not making that up myself, right? I, I'm aware of that. And I'm aware also, for example, that Yaakov was dealing with literally the Shechina leaving him. So obviously when Akosh Baruch Hu leaves him, he's gonna, it's not like he lost a business deal, right? Obviously, you know, he's looking to it's Kosh Hu. So obviously it's a holy experience. So obviously he's going to look at sin to see if that's the cause. But that's our message also. I mean, our message also, when things go bad, go poorly, I'm aware of the discrepancies, but the message is the same, is that when we look at hate uh, ourselves, man, we look specifically inward, right, and see what we can do better. We don't start clearing hakiras and trying to figure out, oh, maybe if this, but if that, if that we're supposed to, our response to, to tragedy is that, that we're supposed to look inward. Uh, Rav Melech Biderman, as you know, I'm very, very fond of quoting. Uh, I had never met him before. Uh, and I still technically haven't met him, but he came to Harnof last week. He came to Arnof to speak Chavez, Um uh Because unfortunately, Harnof has been hit by, I, I don't know if it's immeasurable and, and, and inc- incompatible, or, you know, what the, what's the word? I'm not sure if it's impro- that word, not proportional. But there's been a certain level of tragedy that's hit Harnof, um, you know, amidst all the other tragedies that's going on. Uh, so he came to Harnof to give to Rechizek. And he gave, it was unbelievable. And, and honestly, I, you know, it'd be worth it for me to repeat the entire schmooze, uh, even though I'm not, obviously not going to. Uh, one of the things he said is that, you know, Qaysh Baruch Hu, you know, the muscle of Kosh Baruch Hu giving us a musr, right, and giving us a, a rebuke, right, whether right now we're in the skufa, where Kaj Baruch Hu is, you know, giving us a, a pach, as it were. So he said, he gave a tremendous muscle, right. He said, and we'll give a, I'll give a couple of the muscles that he, that he spoke. But, specific, that he said, but specifically, you uh, give a muscle of a father. Let's say a father is, you know, working on it with his kid, and the kid is acting out. So the father decides he has to give him a slap. Okay. So the father slaps the kid. Not so acceptable nowadays, but, you know, okay, whatever. <laughs> but the father gives his son a slap, and the son runs to his room crying. And the father, right, you know, kind of sneaks after him and, and wants to know, wants to look through the keyhole, right, and see, is the kid going to change his ways? Is he going to get the message? And he looks through the keyhole and he sees the kid is darshaning the slap. He's trying to figure out, right, the, all the details of the slap. Okay, so there's there's a hand and there's there's a it's made out of flesh and there's a certain speed and it impacts my own skin and then at that point there's a noise and there's a pain and and my skin turns red and after a few days right it turns it it goes away and the father's like, what? <laughs> you're completely missing the point. Right? The whole point was that when a father slaps again, he wants him to, to look inward and, and think about his actions. He's not, he doesn't want him to think about the slap. So Malik says, that's what we all do. Don't we all do that? Right? Akash was giving us a slap. Right? Unfortunately, we, all we're doing is like reading the news incessantly. And, oh, it happened like this. And it happened like that. And this detail. And that detail. What if they could have done this? Melech says, Hashem doesn't want us to dush in the slap. Right? Hashem wants us right, to see what we can do better. Right? We can look. What we could do. We can, we can look inward. Um, uh, he further points out right, that the Gemara says in Shabbos that uh, when someone from a group of people passes away right, the phrase in the Gemara is you do Chabura that the whole, the whole Chabura should worry and right? the Marashal says they should have him better okay but but Rehmelech points out that it's it's when something happens to somebody everyone else right, has to think about themselves and he says we're one big Chabura right? all of Am Yisrael is one big Chabura right? certainly he was speaking specifically in harnov, but right, it's, it's true of all of Am Yisrael. when everyone in the Chabura should worry we should all Right. As Marshall says, he's daven better. We should take upon ourselves a Kabbalah, right? something to, to improve upon, not stay in the same place uh, religiously. Right? We should all accept upon ourselves something, something small. And it doesn't have to be this huge thing. Right? Right. He gives a mushle about a guy lying on the train tracks. Right? Guy's lying. Let's say a guy's traveling and he falls asleep on the train tracks, right? and the uh, train is blaring his horn. Right? A train sees him, blaring his horn get out of your, get out of the way, get out of the way, save your life. What does the guy have to do? All he has to do is roll off the tracks. He doesn't have to move a mile. He just has to roll a little bit to the left, right? So that the, the matzah, what's going on is, is a is a train horn, is 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 a is a horn from the train, is blasting, right? Telling us to wake up, telling us just to move a little bit. We're the ones who are lying on the tracks. Doesn't need to be a big thing. Right? It doesn't need to be a big thing. It just can be a small thing, but that's what it's upon us to do. It's incumbent upon us to do, to be kabbalah upon ourselves, just one small Kabbalah, right? not to stay in the same place. I Melech mean, further tells a story about a Jew in Borah Park. This he didn't say last month at Shabbos. This is already in his printouts on Parshat Sveiachit. There's a Jew in Borah Park who always gave tzedakah to, uh, to a Gabbay of Shomri Shabbos or something. So one day one day he met the Gabbay like he always did and fished it into his pocket for some money, but he didn't find any change. Right? Instead, he found, like, a little chocolate, like, in a wrapper. Right? Maybe he had, like, some extra from, like, giving his grandkids, whatever. So as a joke, he held out the chocolate and be like, well, that's all I got. So the Gabay said also in a joke, like, sure, I'll take it, no problem. And, you know, Gabbai took it, and I'm sure it was, you know, a funny joke between the two of them. Right? He gave a smile, and that's it. So sure enough, two weeks passed, and the Jew saw the Gabay again. The Gabay said, you'll never believe what happened. Right? I was in shul, and uh, someone with diabetes had a sharp drop in sugar levels. No, I don't. I, I, even though my father-in-law has you know, a small type of diabetes, I don't really understand exactly the details. But long story short, if what I understand is that you really need to get the person sugar ASAP. So no one had any candy or sugar to give him, or I guess he didn't have any shots or insulin or whatever whatever it is. And the guy said, until he remembered that the chocolate that you had given me was still in my coat pocket. So I gave it to him, and the t- the hotel guy who came a few minutes later said, if not for the chocolate, they wouldn't have been able to save him. The says of Melech, first of all, see what kind of miracles a Kosh Baruch does to save a life, right? None of that stuff is regular. guy shouldn't have had a chocolate in his pocket. It was weird that the Gabbay should even accept the chocolate, right? Weird that he would even hold up and think to offer it to him as tzaka. Weird that the Gabbay should accept it, and weird that he should leave it in his pocket for two weeks, or a week, or whatever. Kosh Baruch is always working miracles behind the scenes, right? Preparing the refuel before the Makkah, right? That uh, That's a void. we will come, right, and save for Shmos a little bit. But second, and again, what's relevant for us, see what a tiny mitzvah does. It's not even a mitzvah. Right, giving the guy a chocolate isn't a mitzvah tztuka. It's a kind thing. It's cute. It's nice. But it, even that was able to save save a life. It says Rav Melech, the next time you have an inkling to grow as a person, right? Yeah, but the Eitz says, eh, what does a kashbar who need? Right, your your little level of growth. Right, your little accomplishments. Right, you, yeah, okay, you're not going to learn shots in a year. Or give a million dollars to tztuka or host twenty families from the south for a meal on Shabbos. So the Yitzhak says, "Who cares? So who cares? You're not going to be able to accomplish those crazy things. So who cares if you learn one daf, or you give one dollar at Stuka, or you host a single person for a Shabbos meal? But right? who cares?" So says "No. See what a small mitzvah can do. It can even save a life. Right? Not only someone else's life, but your life as well. Right? And I, I'm sure you guys saw the picture of the of the bullet in the tehillim, right, from the soldier down south. Right? The bullet, a soldier had a tehillim in his front pocket, and there was a, a bullet lodged in the tehillim." Or right, literally, right over over his heart. Now, again, to to put, I'm sure, obviously, tremendous that merited, you know, Nissan Gluyim an open miracle. To to put a tehillim in your pocket is not a mitzvah. It's a nice thing. It gives you the ability to access tehillim at any point in your day. But that in and of itself is not a mitzvah. But that stopped the bullet. That's, that's something that we're talking about. We're talking about a small kabbalah, something small uh, that you can that you can accept upon yourself. Ramela quotes the Boyan Ereba, right? By the, as just an aside, Miriam is on a street called Hadmor B'Boyan. So he quotes from the Boyan Rebbe, right? That was Ereba. So he says that you can see this from the Parsha as well. Right? This week's Parsha, right? Little tongue-in-cheek, but, but true. Right? He says there are three hischazkus, right? Three strengthenings, right? Chazak, right? Hitchazkut. Right? The three strengthenings that are involved in the Parsha. First of all, the puzzle says in the parsha itself, vayishaval Hamita." Right when Yosef came into him, right, Yaakov strengthened himself. Right, he was already sick. Yaakov was the first person to get sick. Right, for that because he wanted to be able to, you know, set his affairs in order uh, before he died. So he, he was sick. Yosef came in, Yakov vayishaval." he sat up on the bed. Okay, second one, a little, also a little, like I said, a little tongue-in-cheek, but is chazak, chazak, vanis chazek. Right, at the end, right? we add the partial, we all say chazak, chazak. And the third is actually in the Torah. if you look, uh, in the Torah, David is basically also commanding Shlomo, tell him, right? telling him how to live, giving, you know, giving his last sava at the end of his life. And he says, tavi li'ish. And you'll strengthen, you'll become a man, etc., etc. So the Be'an Rebbe points out that all these tiny little, all these things are tiny little things. Right, not huge jumps in levels or whatever. Yaakov simply sat up on his bed. Right? By Chazak Chazak, again, a little tongue-in-cheek, but the message is the same, everyone who's sitting in shul for Kriya's Torah stands up. And by Shlomo, again, the end of the puzzle is L'aleches, right? you're going to to walk in Hashem's ways, meaning just going from either lying down to sitting up in bed, or sitting in shul to standing in shul, or standing and walking, right? like Shlomo. So all of those right, are called V'chazakta. All of those are called strengthening yourself and become, right, becoming uh, becoming uh, stronger. Uh, it gives another. It gave this mashal. he gave uh, Moti Shabbos. Right? They gave. If someone came to Rav Desler, I, I promise. I'm sorry that I'm piling on the mushel the mashals, but, but just one last one, right? Uh, because it really was a tremendous uh, tremendous. Experience. Obviously, it had a, a lot of ashbar on me personally. Anyways, remained another mashal that he said is that someone came to Rav Desler, right? Someone like not of the Gedolei yeah, not one of the great tzaddikim, right? One of us, right? One of, the, one of us. Uh, shall we say. Uh, and Rav Desla asked him right, if he'd accepted upon himself something, right, some area of growth, right, what are you working on, etc., did you take a small cabal, etc. This guy said, listen, you know I'm not one of the great Sadiqim. Right, if I take upon myself something small, that's going to make a difference. So Rav said to him, have you ever been in Manhattan? This is already you know, maybe 100 years ago or 80 years ago, whatever. But he said, in Manhattan, there's a building that's 100 stories tall. And they have an elevator. So this guy once got in an elevator and needed to get to the 100th floor. And the guy just stood there in the elevator and didn't move. And all of a sudden, the thing goes dark. I guess it's not being used, whatever, the lights turn off. He started flailing and hitting any buttons or whatever. Eventually, he got out. And, uh, you know, I guess the police were called and they asked him, what's going on? The guy said, I need to get the 100th floor. So they asked him, why don't you push the button <laughs> to go to 100? And he said, I, I, I don't understand. You can actually go 100 floors just by pressing a button? And so that's what said to him, yes, it's just, all you need to do is press the button. It's a small Kabbalah, that's all it takes, that's all Hashem wants. And Hashem can take you a hundred stories, if you just take a small Kabbalah, if you just press a button, if you take a small Kabbalah upon yourself, right, then of Baruch Hu can take you to the highest heights. Right? But, without pushing the button, you'll never get out of the elevator. Right? It'll stay dark and, and, and not, the thing won't move at all. So that's what we have to do, Urgul said, that's what we have to do, upon it. we have to take a small Kabbalah upon ourselves, small little things, um, you know, just uh, you know, it doesn't have to be this great, tremendous, difficult, impossible type of thing. Little Kabbalahs, right? Everybody, you know, without giving specific examples, everybody knows very well right, what they need to work on and, and, and to take baby steps to get there and to grow different levels. and that way, it will be zochah, right, uh, For the gula Shlame of beemes, amen. Everybody should have uh, a tremendous, tremendous shows.